this is Joe and TJ with another episode of our One Thing series. Our desire is that our One Thing series truly helps you to lead better and grow faster. Every month on our podcast, we feature a great guest always on the topic of leadership and we blast it out to you from the schoolhouse302.com. Thank you, TJ. Please share this with other leaders you know that are looking and craving to get better. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Here we are with our guest, Todd Whitaker. Todd, thank you so much for being on the show. We truly appreciate it. Hey, I'm honored to be here. Excellent. Um, This month, we are focused on purpose and really how to keep our purpose the main thing, um, really in tumultuous times. And we could not think of anyone better to have this conversation with than you. Um, TJ, why don't you tell our audience a bit more about Todd? Sure thing. I, given our audience, though, Joe, I don't know that Todd Whitaker needs an introduction, but we'll go ahead and do it anyway as part of the format of the show. Dr. Todd Whitaker has been fortunate to be able to blend his passion and his career, recognized as a leading presenter in the field of education. His message about the importance of teaching has resonated with hundreds of thousands of educators around the world. Todd is a professor of educational leadership at the University of Missouri and a professor, of, a professor emeritus at Indiana State University. He has spent his life pursuing his love of education by researching and studying effective teachers and principals. Prior to moving into higher education, he was a math teacher and a basketball coach in Missouri. Todd then served as a principal at the middle school level, junior high and high school. He was also a middle school coordinator in changing of staff, curriculum and technology while opening new middle schools. One of the nation's leading authorities on staff motivation, teacher leadership, and principal effectiveness, Todd has written over 50 books, including the national bestseller, What Great Teachers Do Differently. Other titles include Dealing with Difficult Teachers, 10-Minute In-Service, Your First Year, What Great Principals Do Differently, Motivating and Inspiring Teachers, and Dealing with Difficult Parents. He's married to Beth, also a former teacher and principal who is currently a faculty member of educational leadership at the University of Missouri and Professor Emeritus at Indiana State. They are parents of three children, Catherine, Madeline, and Harrison. Okay, Todd, we want to dive into this conversation, like Joe said, about purpose, about leadership, and how effective school leaders are always bringing the main thing to the surface. Throughout your career and your publications, you've directly and indirectly focused on the value of having and maintaining a clear purpose as a leader. One thing that was stressed in your book, Start Right Now, is that the very best leaders never forget that the core business of their schools is learning. Amid all of these challenges right now and disruptions to learning, the fear and uncertainty plaguing many schools, how do leaders continue to maintain this focus and to bring their purpose to the forefront? Um. That's a lengthy and good question. Um, I, you know, the thing that's really interesting, I always say people always look to leaders, but during times of crisis, they stare. And it's because you're glad somebody else is leading the charge. But, but I want you to think about this. When, when we ever wonder about things, you know, it's like I hear about society today and schools today. And it's like, I'm, I'm so sick of that generalization stuff. I want you to think of it more specifically. I'm guessing uh, that you all uh, went virtual a year ago 
in March, kind of overnight. Is that correct? Okay. And when you went virtual overnight with, you know, the tough thing was we didn't have a dress rehearsal. We just went to opening night, you know, so you didn't get a practice. You just did that with no preparation whatsoever. Could you name three teachers you knew were going to figure it out? Absolutely. Could you name three teachers you knew were never going to figure it out? Absolutely. And when you came back in person, could the three teachers that couldn't figure out virtual, they still haven't figured out in person. That's hilarious. <laughs> and it's only because it's true, right? And I'm not being critical. Understand it's the same skill set. We think it's a different skill set. I want to ask you, how on earth did those best teachers do that when it was virtual? It's because there's certain skills that people have that allow them to be successful in any environment and other people don't have those skills. And our role as a leader is to build those skills in all people. I'm writing a book called How to Get All Teachers to Be Like the Best Teachers. Because in my mind, that's the only solution to education. Because in every school, everywhere, we have at least one teacher that's cracked the Da Vinci Code. We don't need innovation. We need replication. We don't need anything new. We've solved it. We just need more of what solved it. Does that make any sense? See, you didn't need something else. And, 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 and I think that that's the thing that's so essential is realizing it's always going to be the people in your organization and it's never going to be the programs. And, and the pandemic's been so hard on everybody, just exhausting. Everybody. And it's really divided us and it's really sad. And that's the saddest thing about the pandemic. You know, for like 10 minutes, teachers were heroes. Um, but, but you, you know, it's interesting. You, you want to know about uh, uh, leadership. You ever question leadership? And it's funny because I work in all 50 states. I work with countries everywhere in the world. And it's interesting because somebody will I'll be, I was just in a state where they have a governor. They still have a state mandate in schools. And the people in the schools were tired of the state mandate. And I said, I go, right now, who's the enemy in the, in the state? They said, the governor. I go, right. If the governor releases that responsibility and gives it to the schools, who's going to be the enemy? And they said, the people in the schools. I said, right. Understand leadership. See, it just, when there's crisis, it exposes your weakness. The teacher that couldn't figure out Zoom has stumbled through in person. But now they had a new dynamic. They weren't able to solve that. The best teacher in your school isn't stumbling every day. They're smooth as can be every day. And when there's a new thing, they stumble for like five minutes, but they go back to their roots and to their schools. And one of their roots is willingness to ask other people, willingness to learn from others, willingness to expose vulnerability, willingness to ask people better than me. And that doesn't mean they're better teachers, but they're better at a particular thing. They're willing to ask the students how to do this. And, and that carries you through no matter what it is you do. And I think that's what happens during crisis. Unfortunately, I think the other challenge we face now is everybody's coming to school at 80%. We're not at 100% because we're worried about whether our kids will get sick, whether our parents will get sick, whether or not we're gonna be okay. People who wear masks are mad at people that don't wear masks. People who don't wear masks are mad at people who wear masks. I mean, we're, there's such a drain on us that we're already operating at a reduced capacity. The other thing I want to share, though, is I want people to quit being defensive in education. The other day I was working with a school and they uh, they had state tests last year, the exact test they always do, which is probably not the wisest thing for a state to do. But many states do it. Many states don't. What's interesting is their scores had fallen in this district I was with, naturally, because of all the dynamic last year. And you know what? I told them, quit being defensive. Quit it. Quit being defensive. You know, when your scores fell last year, you know what that says? You make a difference. Just think if your scores went up last year, 
You know what that says? You don't make a difference. And haven't we always heard everyone can teach? Isn't that something we've always heard everyone can teach? Well, they got their crack the last year, didn't they? How'd that work out for them? So it's realizing that what we do makes a difference. You know, one thing we've learned from the pandemic, bank branches close all over the country. They're never going to reopen because people don't need them. Insurance agencies are closing everywhere because people don't need them. There's technology, there's remote learning. You know what's weird? What hasn't closed? The schools. You know why? Because people know they need them. They need them more than we've ever needed them. And it took a crisis to prove that. So I don't want us to be defensive about whether or not we had a stumble last year on test scores. That's ridiculous. What it really showed is that we really make a difference in education. And I want people to hang their hat on that. That's an excellent point. And I think it bodes very well with the whole notion of purpose. If you could, Todd, could you dig into that a little more? As a leader, how would you create that environment to quit being defensive, to recognize the power that we serve every day for our students? And as leaders, take really that charge and stop, stop leading with like a shadow chasing us. I think it's the stories we share. I think it's who we create as most important. Um, you know, I want you to think about how much power do we give away to negative people who whine and complain and gripe? And no matter what power we give them, all they become is more powerful at whining and, and griping. I want you to think about this. <clears throat> Let's pretend, you know, one of the things I talk about is we have three kinds of teachers, but we have three kinds of employees. We have three kinds of principals, superstars, backbones, and mediocres. And if you think about the idea of shifting the monkey and the con combining that is everybody has monkeys on their back, responsibilities, tasks. Which people have the most responsibilities and tasks? Superstars, backbones, and mediocres. Which are the three? Superstars. Superstars, okay. Now, if I take a task off a superstar's back, what do they replace it with? Another task. No, a more important task. Okay. Because they always want to make a difference. And if you can free them up from this menial task, all of a sudden they're gonna split the atom in their science class. If you take a task off a backbone, what do they replace it with? I would say nothing. <laughs> I think a parallel task or less of a task. If you take a task off a mediocre, what do they replace it with? Now you know the answer. Yeah, nothing. Nothing, exactly right. So understand as a leader, I'm constantly doing everything I can to protect my best people. Because I, I, can, I, can, I can help you by doing one of two things. I can help you by taking a task off of your back. And I can help you by praising you, valuing you, make you feel important so that your back's stronger. You know, one of the things I ask principals to do all the time, and during crisis is exactly the same. Everything's the same. It's just if we're not doing it, it it's exposed now. But everything's the same. The great teacher's not any different than they were. They've always been great. It's just the average or below average teacher is still doing the same thing, but they're exposed because they really weren't doing it correctly in the very beginning. They could just get away with it. It's like a teacher that's in a high socioeconomic uh, uh, population school. They can, they can stammer through. You know, the kids are going to be at the 95th percentile, even if they don't have school. You know, the kids are going to generally be cooperative. Put them in a low socioeconomic school, and in 10 minutes, they stick out like a sore thumb because they're missing skills. They were missing them in the other environment. The other environment was just different. And I think that's the same thing that happens here. I ask principals to do one little thing. 
one thing with your very best teacher when they need it, not when you need it, when they need it. Now you may both need it because sometimes there's a Tuesday that seems like the longest month of the year. So I understand that, but go into your best teacher's classroom when they need it, when they need it. Go into your best teacher's classroom and leave one note. Leave a note that says, I was sitting down in the office and I forgot what school was. And I wanted to come into your classroom so that I could remember what school was. Thanks for being here for all the students. And thanks for being here for me. How does that make people feel? How many of you have never gotten a note that nice in your life and you married someone? I mean, so keep that in mind. And you want you know how it applies remotely? I, I did a whole, I've done tons of them on leadership during crisis and that kind of stuff during the pandemic. And many times I'd work with a group of uh, school administrators who they were, uh, their schools were remote. And they're going, how do I motivate my teachers when they're remote? And I said, you know what you do? The exact same thing. You call your best teacher when they need it. And you know what you say? Do you know what I miss most about us being remote? You. I miss you. I miss seeing your smiling face when you greet the kids. I miss seeing the kids' faces when they walk into your classroom. I miss being at lunch and hearing three kids talk and one goes, what class are you going to next? And they mention your name and the other two kids go, jealous. I miss seeing kids at recess who come out of, rec come out of your class and they keep asking when recess ends because they want to get back and finish what it was they're doing. I miss coming in your room and not wanting to leave because I'm excited about what's taking place. I want to know what happened to Ricky Ticky Tabby. And so that's really important to understand what I miss is I miss you. And isn't that exactly what you really missed? That's how you keep your purpose. You realize what your best teachers are doing. And you're going, that's school. You forget what's, and I don't mean this critical of anyone. You forget what school is. Do your best teachers ever forget what school is? So you rely on them because they give you guidance because they hang on to that true north like nobody else in the world does. Todd, for, for those listening and for those who have maybe forgotten like you're alluding to, and you write about what the best do differently, what are you seeing right now that the best are doing differently that we need to identify and try to replicate and scale? Um, I think there's a couple of things. One of the things I think is that the best people, and I'm talking about whether it's principals or teachers, they do it 10 days out of 10. You know, I just finished a, a third edition of Great Teachers and Great Principals. And in Great Principals, one of the things I talked about is leadership's not an event. I, I love it if a principal kisses a pig. I think it's dang funny. But that has nothing to do with whether their school's effective or not. And I'm not telling you not to do it. It's still fun to have events. That just doesn't lead us anywhere. Um, but there's nothing wrong with it because you got to realize when you kiss a pig, people are laughing or they're just laughing at you or with you. It's like, how many times now do you hear about promoting schools? We need to brand our schools and all this kind of stuff. You better make sure they're good first. I don't want you to come to my house if I haven't vacuumed, you know? So I've got to make sure that I do that on a, on a, a constant basis, on a regular basis. But that's why teachers need time off because our jobs, it isn't the hours, it's the intensity. That's what, that's what makes our job so hard. It's the intensity. Lots of jobs have long hours, but they're not nearly as intense as what we do. 
And so that's a come, we need time off. We need a chance to get recharged. We need a chance to get refueled. We need summers off. We need vacations. We need breaks. And that's one of the limitations of us being virtual is many times then you're really not even off, you know, because of the fact you can work with kids anytime, you're getting questions, all this, which are positives, but they're a tough thing. Um, the other thing I think that's really critical is to understand we're the filter. We're the filter for what comes out of our mouth and what doesn't. When people say, how's your day going? And I'm not a false positivity guy. When people say, how's your day going? Did you know you have a choice in how to respond? It's funny, I, that we're right after the holidays here and I was just with a group and um, I go around, I was going around and just asking them, how was your holiday? You know, how was this making casual conversation? And I go to somebody and I go, hey, how was your holiday? And they go, stomach flu coming out of both ends and understand this. They said that every holiday. They say that every weekend. They say, and if it isn't stomach flu coming out of both ends, which is a nice little picture to think about, they say something like that. And what happens is you have to teach people that's not how we ever gain any influence. Instead, people just wanna avoid us. They just wanna stay away. But that's the reward for negative people is we never ask them to do anything because it's no fun to be around. But it's that the filter, we're in charge of what comes. Think about this. If a great teacher, if a, if a great teacher has 25 kids in class and a great virtual hybrid or in-person, it doesn't matter. If a great teacher has 25 students and the great teachers in a bad mood, how many people in the classroom know it? One, the teacher. That's the teacher. If a negative teacher's in a bad mood, how many people in the school know it? Everyone. And it's not because you notice, it's because they announce it. Do you know anyone who uses their mood as a weapon? But if I don't teach my teachers this, they don't even know it's wrong. And I teach people this, and then they realize it's wrong. This is, this is wrong for me to do this. I didn't know if it was wrong because I hang around with someone just like me, and we just reinforce each other all the time. But if you hang around good people, you interact with more positive people, you realize I'm the outlier. I'm the one that's doing the things I should not be doing. These things do not help anyone, including me. And that's really important. Todd, no doubt so far, just the wisdom you share, honestly, in a very practical and funny way is I think what draws so many people to you and your work so I would like to switch gears a little bit, if you don't mind. And yeah, that's let's do unwise things that aren't funny. Go. <laughs> <laughs> that's really my strength. We're going to have yeah. to expand it beyond a half hour today. I'm just letting you know that. Well, you know, you're you're incredibly uh, prolific writer. You, you speak incredibly well. You like that. You 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 have just nuggets of humor, but. Let's dig in a little bit to like what's made you successful, some of your habits, some of the things that make you tick that when you talk about replication, a part of this podcast series is designed that way. And so are, are there individuals out there um, or groups, a person that you follow for not knowledge or inspiration? I, the reason I like Twitter is because the knowledge of one becomes the knowledge of all. And there are certain people, sure, I tend to like them. I think this is better, but it's really the Twitter world. It's the education world. You know, I was in law school. I graduated in business administration and I got into law school. And do you know why I quit law school? Because I didn't want that as my peer group. That's the truth. You know, some people were looking, 
some I, I got into law school, truth, justice in the American way. And at least some of the people were there because they wanted to make $300 an hour with a law firm of Dewey, Cheatham and Howe, uh, which I think is a Rhode Island firm. I'm not positive. But anyhow, um, my friends are in Rhode Island. That's the only reason I said Rhode Island. I wasn't picking on Rhode Island. Um, plus, it's too small to defend itself. Uh, but anyhow, uh, what's interesting is, you know, there's, there's a lot of other people that speak and are probably better than me and more well-known and whatever. But you know what's weird? That's not my peer group. They're each other's peer group. It's so weird. If 10 speakers get together, I'm, not the, I'm the one that doesn't fit in because that's not my peer group. You all are my peer group, I hope. I hope teachers are my peer group. You see, you never see me post on Twitter, Delta Airlines, fail, I'm delayed again. Because you know what? That principal's mopping vomit in the cafeteria. Me being delayed on a flight, what is that? I see people post stuff that says things like, um, uh, fail United, didn't get my first class seat. What is that? Who is your peer group there? I can't even relate to that. If I get to a group with people like that, you know what I say? What's the best school you've been to lately? Who's the best principal you've interacted with? Have you seen any outstanding teachers? And you know what they're talking about? Tell me what to do with your miles. How do you sell more t-shirts? What do we do with these bracelets? And that's not, that's not the peers in there, if that makes any sense. So I think it's just, it's the connection to good people like yourselves, just people who care. You know what I always used to have my teachers, I want them to do two things. I need my teachers to do two things, but I need you to do them every day. Here are the two things I need you to do. Care and try. If you care and try every day, I can help you with everything else. But if you don't care and try every day, I really can't help you. And I think that's the kind of core we can have with education. And everybody in education wants to be great. Nobody got into great education to be forgettable. Nobody got in to be there, the average teacher. They want to be great. They just don't know how to be great. But the fact they want to be, I think, gives you an avenue that's just spectacular. But it's just that it's the connection with everybody who cares so much. How do people get up and try? You know, it's December 5th today. I don't know if we're supposed to say the day, uh, but it's December 5th. How on earth did people come back the first day after Christmas? Isn't that in and of itself amazing? It is amazing that they reach down and they pull that energy and they come up and they do it because of the kids. And other professions aren't like that. And that's the reason. How do you not stay focused whenever you're around so many other people and that the gifts they bring to their schools and to their classrooms every day is truly immeasurable. And so for me, it's just, it's like I go in the best teacher's classroom and I remember what's important. I get on Twitter, I connect with people like yourselves and other high-flying people. And I think that's what's important. And they reminded me of that every day. So that's it more so than one person, if that makes any sense. No, it's great. And we, we have a lot of audience members who are on Twitter, but I will remind anybody listening to get on Twitter. If you're not already there, it is a great space for learning at Todd Whitaker. Um, you can follow Todd there as well. I really want to emphasize something too that you were saying, because Joe and I talk a lot about what we call a learning culture versus a teaching culture. And this, I think it's cultural, this care and try. Um, I think it's a culture of try. It's a culture of we'll give it a shot. And uh, asking people to, to change is often, it often starts with asking them to try something different. So if we can build that into the culture, I think that's even better. Yeah. So in that same spirit of try, what is one thing that people should try to do on a regular basis that might make a difference in their day or life? I think there's several things. One is, one thing I ask leaders to do all the time is do more teaching and less telling. You know, think about this. If, if you have children, 
you get your kids to behave the best you know how, because it's selfish. If you could get your kids to behave better, you get your kids to behave better. If you were at a store with your children and I'm there as a complete stranger and I tell you to get your kids to behave better, how would you respond? You'd respond with either daggers or one finger. But if I taught you to get your kids to behave better, you'd follow me around like the Pied Piper because that makes your job easier. And if, if you think about this, I talk about stuff like a poor lecturer's classroom and people, I say, what's the problem? And people always say lecture and I go, no, the problem's poor. Because if you have good lectures and poor lectures, the problem can't be lecture. The problem's the difference between effective and ineffective lecture, if that makes any sense. Well, I don't get, and, and you know, the, the best, there's a chance the best teacher in your school uses lecture some of the time. And you know what they are? Really good at it. Why would I wanna reduce lecture? I wanna reduce poor. Now with an ineffective teacher, I don't get them to eliminate lecture by telling them to eliminate lecture because my best teacher's best tool may be lecture, but my worst teacher's best tool may be lecture. The problem is they don't have a better tool. And when I teach them a better way, they eliminate lecture because now they have a better way. If I could get your kids to behave better, you wouldn't hold on to past, in a, past ineffective practices. You'd get rid of that so quick it isn't even funny. But if you don't have a better way, you're gonna hold on to the past ineffective practice. And I think that's really a lot of what things are. The other thing I ask people to do is just really understand what's taking place. Like when I said poor lecturers classroom, I usually say, what's the problem? And everyone says lecture. But if they thought about it for two seconds, the problem's poor. But we repeat average because we think average is right because there's so much average. Think about this, participation trophies. That's a big deal, isn't it? Isn't that the death of the Western world? Isn't that what you've heard? Everything wrong with society's participation trophies. I always say, if you, do you have any of you ever married anyone who talks about participation trophies? Well, if you have, I want you to marry better next time. But anyhow, you know, what's interesting about participation trophies, I, I hear coaches, I hear teachers, I hear people talk about participation. I can't motivate these kids. They've gotten participation trophies. Their whole life, they've just gotten participation trophies. I can't motivate these kids. Do you know what I say to the coach? Do you know who else got participation trophies? And they said, who? And I said, the team that beat you yesterday. And you know who else got participation trophies? The team that beat you last Wednesday. And you know who else got participation trophies? The team you're playing tomorrow. And you know what they focused on? Solutions. You know what you're focusing on? Excuses. And you know who you're hanging around with? Other people who focus on excuses. And as long as you all hang together, you're going to be high-fiving and everything and just blaming kids for the rest of your life. Can I tell you a secret? The best teacher in any school that's listening today never talks about participation trophies because they know that's not the variable. They know they're the variable. But if I blame participation trophies, I've let myself off the hook. I've also given away all of my power. I've given it away. I have no influence whatsoever because I've got to wait for the world to change about participation trophies. And I listen to TV stations or radio shows that talk about participation trophies. And I feel better as a person because it's not my fault. It's participation trophies. And your best teachers would never do that. They want to know what they can do, not what society's done to them. So if, I wouldn't mind getting a little personal, uh, Todd, if, if we could. What is one thing that you want to know or be able to do that you haven't already? You know, it, it's really funny. My, I, my, most of my books are based on research. I just pull most of the research out because I'm afraid people won't read them if it's, if it's too inundated. Plus, I, you'd rather get a solution in 10 pages than 100 pages, you know? 
And so I, and I'm aware of that because you really want the solution. You don't care near as much as how we get to it. One of the things I've been blessed at, I have so many studies where I've identified the most effective people, like in an entire school district. I mean, a huge district and I'll get the 10 best teachers. Now, whether I get the 10 best teachers, I don't know, but I promise I get 10 of the best teachers. And we go and study them and see what is it they have in common. There's things they don't have in common and those aren't the variables that matter, but there's certain things they do that the other people don't do. And I think it's just continuing to discover that and be able to share that with people. That's, that's my driving force. Um, uh, all, I, all I wanna do is make a difference. That's really it. All I want to do is make a difference. But I, but I don't want it to, to end with me uh, because it's, I want it to, to, to teach other people how to do things that they can teach other people how to do things. I want to be the ultimate pyramid scheme related to that. I want to teach everyone how to do things because I don't want it to be a secret. I want everyone to be outstanding. And so for me, it's just helping to continue to try to venture down that lane and, and figure out what it is uh, people do differently. And it's, it's funny, most of the time, I've never read, a, I don't read books, I wish I would, I just, I can't make myself, I've got problems. I don't even read my own books. But the reason I write books is because someone will say something that doesn't make any sense to me. And I'm like, no, that's incorrect. And the problem is people are reading it. So I have to write something so I think will make sense and help them. And, and it's funny, the other day, somebody goes, Todd, your book, What Great Teachers Do Differently is a lot like your book, What Great Principles Do Differently. And you know, and they said it kind of, critically. And you know what I said? I'm hoping. I'm hoping there's a lot of overlap. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping if they're completely different, then you might as well hire your worst teachers to become principals. Instead, you're much better off hiring your best teachers. The only difference is the best teachers teach, and when the best teachers teach the students, the best principals teach the teachers. But it's still the same teaching. And I'd like, I also would like to see the world become more like educators. You know, it's funny, I mentioned Twitter and people get afraid of Twitter and I understand, but if you follow educators on Twitter, it's not attack dogs. It, it, it's people who wanna help each other. It's people who are willing to share. People want everyone to be successful. I say the best people they have, they view the world as what's called a limited, it's an unlimited sum game. You know, in their mind, your best teachers, you know who can be successful? Everyone. That's the reason they're willing to share because there's plenty for you and plenty for you and plenty for you and plenty for you. An ineffective person have a limited sum game. They never share because if they give away one idea, they know that's the only idea they've ever had. And educators are so good about sharing. That's, that's really the power of social media with educators. It's not attack dogs. It's the fact they're willing to share. They, they want everyone else to be successful. The best people want everyone else to be successful. And I think the other power of social media is it's really lonely for high achieving people. It's very lonely. And I always ask teachers, I go, would you like to come to work happy and perky? Every teacher says, yes. I go, do any of you work at a grade level or a department where there's other people who aren't happy and perky? And if you don't find people who are happy and perky, you start to become like them because you think that's normal and that's not normal. And social media allows people to connect themselves like that, the truly outstanding people, people like yourselves. That's what it does. A lot of what you're saying is really resonating with me, and I'm sure is going to resonate with lis listeners and, and leaders who, who want to add value. Our leaders, um, we always say, want to uh, grow faster and lead better. Um, and so you're talking about adding value so that others can add value and how that kind of scales that way. What's one thing that has led to or continues to support your growth in being able to, to add value that others might be able to replicate or at least ponder? 
it's really being around people. You know, it's funny. I, one of the stories I tell, and it's a, a, it's a fairly recent, right before the pandemic, I was in Mississippi and I was talking to about 3000 principals or so. And um, this was pre-pandemic, so I'm going around and greeting people. You know, I'm glad-handed now with the pandemic. You try to be honor people's space and stuff. But I was going around. And the reason I go around and do this, I'm looking for the smartest people in the room. And the reason is you can't learn how to be great from average people because average people don't know how to be great. They're not keeping it a secret. They don't know how to be great. And, you know, I learn how to be great from great people because then I don't have to figure it out. I just steal ideas from them. And I was going around the room, and I happened to, I'm looking for the best principals in Mississippi, and I happened to find a table of four people. People like yourselves. They weren't as good looking as you all, but people like yourselves. And um, I was uh, talking to them and I thought I found the sharpest principal in Mississippi at the table. And the day was on leading school change, which was one of my books. And I'm not a book salesman. I don't care if you order one copy, Xerox it for everybody and mail it back. Just don't tell the publisher I said that. Um, but anyhow, I was on leading school change and the sharpest principal in Mississippi, I asked her, what's a goal you have for change? And she said, I wish, she goes, no, she goes, my goal is to have every student leave home excited about learning. What do y'all think of that goal? Isn't that a great goal? My goal is to have every student leave home excited about learning. And you know what I told that principal? That's not a goal, that's a wish. She said, what do you mean? I said, a goal is something you can influence. A wish is something you need magic pixie dust to influence. She said, I don't understand. I go, how do kids walk into the best teacher in your school's classroom? She said, excited about learning. I said, how do kids leave home? How do those kids leave home? She said, I don't have the slightest idea. I said, how do they walk into the worst teacher's classroom in your school? She goes, not very excited about learning. I go, how did they leave home? And she goes, I don't have any idea. So which one do you have the most ability to influence? How they leave home or how they walk into your classrooms? And when we realize we have that ability to influence the things that most matter, we focus on the things that most matter. You know, you got two ways to improve your school, hire better teachers and improve the ones you got. Everything else you do is a waste of time. And when we realize that, we put resources into our most important people. Um, can I give you one quick example of something that, cha that changes people? Okay. Do either of you have, think you're going to be hiring any teachers this coming year? Uh, so TJ, you're going to uh, interview. Have you ever checked references? Yes. Okay. Did you know over, over one third of the people in education that get hired, no one's ever checked a reference on? I do believe that for sure. And you know what I say? Praise the Lord, because otherwise people like me don't get jobs. But TJ, when you check, all checking references is just takes effort. It doesn't take skill. It doesn't take ability. It just takes effort. And yet we don't even put the effort. And what happens is we hire during a time when we're most smoked. It's the end of the year. We're whipped. We're beaten down. And so we settle a lot. And do you know why we're so worn down at the end of the year? because previous principals have settled a lot and we have to defend ineffective practices so much during the year. Your best teachers don't wear you down. Your best teachers juice you up. But anyhow, you're checking references, okay? Tell me the most, do you have any guess, either one of you gentlemen, have any guess as to the most common question we ask when we check a reference, okay? Would you hire them? Again. Again, okay. What percent of the time is the answer yes? Typically 100% of the time, right? Pretty close, right? If they posted a weird YouTube clip of them doing something horrific with a turtle, it may have made that cutoff. So I'm only wanting to hire great, TJ. You can have all the average you want. I'll take the great, okay? What, so the, do you have any idea if they're great if the answer is yes? No. Okay, but there's nothing wrong with a softball question, but many times that's the key question we ask. 
So TJ, I would ask you, would you hire him again? You tell me yes, right? Yeah. So I'm going to ask you another question, TJ. Would you recruit him? Is that a different question than would you hire him again? It's a better question. Okay. So TJ, you said you'd recruit him. And I say, okay, TJ, how many teachers do you have in your school? You can make up a number. It doesn't matter. Let's say 100 in the school. We have 1,000 in our district. Okay, 100 in the school, okay? You say you have 100 teachers in the school and you recruit them. Guess what my next question is, TJ? Yeah. How many of your 100 would you recruit? Because guess what I need to know, TJ? How picky are you? So of the 100 teachers, and you can make up a number, how many of those 100 would you recruit? Four. Four, so he's picky. Guess what my next question is, TJ? Where do they fall in the four? Is it the first teacher you'd recruit? The second teacher you'd recruit? The third teacher you'd recruit or the fourth teacher you'd recruit? And let's say you tell me that's the third teacher you'd recruit. Guess what my next question is? Why aren't they first? What keeps them from being first? What's the difference between them and first? TJ, am I asking you different questions than you'd ever been asked in your life? Absolutely. Okay. TJ, when you check references, are you going to ask different questions than you would have asked yesterday? 100%. Did I tell you to do anything? Nope. Did I ask you to do anything? No, sir. You're going to do it because it's what? It's the right thing to do. It's a better thing. Better. It's better. And understand, on a one to 10 scale, how are they on classroom management? You can say there are, every time it's an eight, nine, or 10. Okay, but you, let's say you say it's a nine. You say you have 100 teachers. Guess what my next question is going to be? How many 10s do you have? What keeps them from being a 10? What's the difference between them and the 10? Where do they rank in the nines? What is, but I chose classroom management, but it could be about vision. It could be about inspiration. It could be about instructional practices. It could be about anything you wanted. If you ask a truly great principal, how many people in the school, how many employees could you not live? How many employees could you not live without? Could you not? How many, yeah, how many employees could you not live without? Did you know a great principal goes, um, seven? Yeah, because they think about this all the time. The answer is, I made up seven. It does. They may say 17, they may say three, they may say 26, but they think about it all the time because they know in my school, I got a night custodian, one secretary, one counselor, and three teachers. If any of them quit, I'm quitting. But otherwise, I can replace them. And I don't mean I want to replace them. I don't mean there wouldn't be pieces, but they're people that are the core to our very existence. And what happens is, if you think about it, TJ, you can't even lie at my questions. I was going to say that one thing that really makes sense when you're asking those questions, it circumvents in a, in a great way, the fear associated with giving someone a bad reference. Right. So if I go ahead and give someone a bad reference, you're afraid it's going to come back on me. So you, so you're just, you know, you, you kind of just smooth the truth a little bit. Right. And it, it's so specific because you've never thought of it. And, but the thing is, every, every principal in the country can do this. There, there's no, not a skill to it. And it's funny because I'm somebody who it feels so guilty the other way. If you contacted me about someone and they were no good, I would make it so clear without saying anything derogatory. I would literally make it so clear that if you decided to hire them, that's on you, not on me. You know, I, I literally had a teacher one time and I go, they, they, they ask and they go, they go, I go, uh, well, I go, uh, I, they were here for two years. I didn't hire them. I inherited them. They were here for two years. And I looked and they have 12 sick days a year. And they use 12 sick days both years before Thanksgiving. And as far as I know, they were never sick. And the person goes, well, I'm leaning toward hiring them. And I go, well, let me put it another way. If the choice was 
uh, hiring them or doing the job yourself, I would do the job myself. It's going to be easier than cleaning up their messes. And he goes, well, I'm, I'm still thinking I'm going to hire them. And I go, well, one more way to put it. If the choice was them or a monkey, I said, I'd hire the monkey. And they hired him. And I've never felt bad about it except for the kids that they influence. But I can't, I can't do that to other people because we are in a real pool. You know, we're in a pool where we're all in education. It's not a, it's, it's, it's an unlimited sum game. We can all be successful. Final question. What's one thing that you used to think, Todd, that you don't think anymore? Well, I used to think I was funny and then I got married 34 years ago. Um, I thought everybody did the right thing. I just thought instinctually people did the right thing. Yeah, think about something like a blanket monkey you've heard me talk about where instead of dealing with the individual person, we throw it on everybody. And uh, you know, have you ever seen a principal have a faculty meeting where they talk about one teacher to all the teachers? You know, Sometimes some of you are late, sometimes some of you, who's offended? The good teachers. And you know what they're thinking? What are you talking to me for? Why don't you talk to her? She's not even here yet. I assumed when that happened to people, they never did it to other people. But instead, what happens is that's role modeling and they're more likely to do it to other people. When we blanket monkey, you know, state departments blanket monkey superintendents. You know, in, 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 a, in a state, if you have three dysfunctional districts and eight dysfunctional schools, the state department should be dealing with three districts and eight schools. Instead, they're afraid of the three districts and eight schools because they know they don't know how to deal with them. So what they do is they throw it on everybody. New, new state guidelines for everyone, new teacher evaluation for everyone, new A through F for everyone, new state standards for everyone. And then superintendents get blanket monkeyed. And then the average superintendents think you're supposed to blanket monkey because they don't know how to deal with people individually. So then they blanket monkey their principals and send a note around that says some principals have not turned in the reports yet. Which principals are most offended? The good ones. And you know what they're thinking? Hey, Dillweed, there's only 11 of us. You know which two it is. Why don't you talk to them? But what happens with the other nine is they got blanket monkeyed and they blanket monkey their teachers. And they send notes that say some teachers haven't turned in their grades yet. And which teachers are most concerned? The high achievers, the ones whose lives are driven by guilt. And they run down and double check. And then what does the school do when a parent doesn't pick up a kid from a field trip for two and a half hours? Sends a note home to all the kids. And you're assuming the most dysfunctional kid will take a note home to the most dysfunctional parent who will make a mental note. That six weeks from now, when we have enough, and what happens is we just pile this stuff on to good people. And when you're a leader that doesn't do that, you stand out so much. It's like a leader that compliments. I always say the mo there are very few things more powerful than a well-placed compliment. And when you compliment people, and when you take a positive approach, you stand out so much, it's not even funny. You're not worried about teacher turnover. They don't want to leave. Their whole life, they've dreamed about being in an environment like that. And, and we can do that. Think about hire, uh, the last thing, think about hiring teachers. And it's so funny because we have a shortage of teachers. So what do we do? Well, I hope you've been doing it right or else you're really in trouble. When you hire a new teacher, you only have one goal. What's your one goal? For your school to become more like the new teacher, not for the new teachers to become like the school. And if that's not your goal, you're hiring the wrong people. During an interview, and I thought everybody did this, during an interview, here's what I say to anyone I'm interviewing. Because we, I was always in a low pouring, low paying school district. So I couldn't compete on salary. Plus I'm just a principal, I don't have any influence on that anyhow. And here's what I'd say in an interview. If you wanna be a part of the best school in the state of Missouri, this is the one to come to. And if you don't, I understand a lot of people don't wanna work that hard. But see, we don't have a pecking order here. I don't have a seniority list. Do you know when I want your opinion? When you have an opinion. 
And if I don't want your opinion, I'm not going to hire you. But if I hire you, I want your opinion from the day you walk in the door. I don't hire teachers to fall in line. I hire teachers to form new lines. I don't hire you because of what we have. I hire you because of what we don't have. And if you want to make a difference from the day you walk in the door, this is the school to come to. And if you don't, I understand a lot of people don't want to work that hard. Superstars, backbones, and mediocres. Who's attracted to that? Superstars. Because what have they wanted to do their whole life? Make a difference. Back to the purpose. And you know what they found? A place they can make a difference. I'm never worried about salary schedule. And I'd like salaries to be higher. I'm, I'm somebody who always wants teachers. To, but I don't have a, if I can't control it, that can't be my focus because then I'm giving away power. And see, TJ, you can teach people to do this. You can teach people to do this. You can teach people to ask the, que rate, quest, the correct questions when they check references. I do so much on classroom management now. And the reason I've got into it, it's so funny. My girls and I have written a couple books. My girls are classroom management machines and their personalities are completely different. Um, but that's, that's what's helped me realize it. What do they do that no one else does even though their personalities aren't the same? And now by teaching, think about this. What percentage of teachers would like their job better if they were better at managing their classroom? 100% because it's selfish. But you know what's really critical? What percent of teachers would significantly like their job better if they were better at managing their classroom? And it's different in every school. It's at least 25, 30, 35, 50% of the teachers would significantly. So as a principal, if I'd like to build morale, guess what's one way I can do it? teach my teachers how to manage their class better. And you know what's weird? That's gonna improve my test scores more than focusing on test scores. If every teacher in your school was a master at classroom management, what would happen to test scores? And that's an indirect way that you have much more ability to influence quickly than focusing on test scores. And I'm not discounting test scores. I'm a test, you know, I, but it's just realizing, but if I think about this, how come we don't always focus on classroom management? Teachers like their jobs better. Kids like school better. Teachers have more satisfaction. The principal's job is easier. That seems like to me, how do we not focus on that? Instead, we talk about it being old school. And it isn't. It isn't at all. And what's happened during the pandemic, kids have come back. They've missed school for a year and a half. Now the teachers that lack the ability in classroom management, they're, they're really in trouble, aren't they? Because the kids potentially are acting out more than they were before the pandemic. And, but but if they, the people that have those skills, the kids still are acting out more, but their skills at least enable them to have class and to move forward and to build relationships. And I think the other thing that I've also learned, people talk about everything's relationships, it's incorrect. It, it, it's incorrect, it's way harder than that. School is, it, teaching is way harder than relationships. You can ask a kid about their puppy, but at some point it's a dog, you know? And we have to have engaging lessons on a regular basis. And if you have that, you have a learning relationship. And that's the relationship that's going to be ongoing. L relationships aren't an event either. It's not going to a basketball game once a month. And I think that's cool if you do it. But if you don't respect the teacher, it doesn't matter if they come to your basketball game anyhow. And that's really it. It's really the learning relationship we have to establish. I'd mentioned Twitter last time. I'm going to mention it the other day. Somebody asked me, they go, Todd? How do teachers, how do principals take care of the students? And I said, I don't know how. I think principals take care of their teachers and their teachers take care of the students. Are you worried at all about how your best teachers take care of the students? Do you ever even give that a thought? 
And you know what you better do? Hire better teachers and improve the ones you have so that they can become like those teachers. Then you don't have to worry. And I'm not saying there aren't students with concerns. Of course there are. But aren't there a lot less students with concerns in your best teacher's class than there are in your worst teacher's class? And I think this is all in our influence. I think this is all in the sphere in which we can impact. I truly do. I truly believe it. And if you ever question it, just go in a great principal school. You see it all the time. Go in a great teacher's classroom. You see it. You know it. Go in a great superintendent's district. You know it. So it isn't education hasn't failed. It's an unbelievably successful when we do it correctly. There's, there's nothing preventing us, including the participation trophies, from having great classrooms and great schools. And we've just got to realize that. And we've got to focus on solutions rather than solution, uh, solutions rather than excuses. And the best people do it every day. Todd, one thing that we always say, Joe and I, is that leadership might be complex, but it doesn't have to be complicated. And you've just delivered here in this show just a number of, of pieces of wisdom, but your ability to break things down make them uh, simpler, easier to implement, and simply better um, through your books and your speaking is just a gift to educators. Uh, and we thank you for that. Is there anything else that you would like to add today for our audience? Well, you know, it's really funny you mentioned that. You know what I almost called the book, What Great Teachers Do Differently? It's simple. It's just not always easy. It's very simple. And I think it's just looking at things objectively. For example, flexible seating. You all familiar with flexible seating, big trend in education? Okay. How many of you could name at least one outstanding teacher that would be outstanding using flexible seating? Okay. How many of you could name at least one outstanding teacher that would be outstanding not using flexible seating? How many of you could name one ineffective teacher that would be ineffective using flexible seating? How many of you could name at least one ineffective teacher that would be ineffective not using flexible seating? What is never the variable? The seating. What is always the variable? The human. And do you see when you say that and come up with that, it applies in every situation there is. It applies in participation trophies. It applies related to kids leaving home versus coming in the classrooms. And it's just realizing that it's always people. It's never going to be programs. And, 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 and what happens is we have people forcing programs on us. And believe it or not, as a principal, central office liked me. But it's just, it's just realizing to my teachers, I never said this program was the biggest deal in the world. I said, we have to do it so that we can do what's important. Do you know why my, we had great success at test scores? Because if we were successful at testing, we could do anything we wanted as a school. And if we weren't successful at testing, the tests were going to dictate what we did in the school. That rallied my teachers. Even the ones who hated testing tried harder than anybody else because they realized we have success on this. We can do whatever we want. We don't have to say they're important. We just have to be successful. And that's a different thing. That's a different commitment than we have to say they're important. We, we don't have to say they're important. We just have to be successful at it. And I think that's a way to get people together on something. Um, so uh, I don't know. I just like teaching. I like principaling. I, I, like, I, I like people that uh, choose to have a profession that matters. And I always say the best teacher thing about teaching is it matters. The hardest thing about teaching is it matters every day. That's what makes it so different than most professions don't matter every day. Most professions don't matter very many days. Education just happens to matter every single day. And I'm glad that gentlemen like you, and I'm glad people that are like in the audience are the people that are part of that profession. And Todd Whitaker's nobody, but if you ever want to visit, you can call me or email me. My website's toddwhitaker.com and I don't have any people. And um, uh, on Twitter, I'm at Todd Whitaker. And just sometimes our jobs can be lonely. 
And sometimes our jobs can be confusing and I'm nobody, but just a neutral voice that will share their thoughts and you can do them or not do them. And, and uh, uh, you can roll your eyes and say, he was even stupider than I thought. And it will not hurt my feelings as long as you hang up first. But I want to thank all of you for what you do. You, you, really, you really made, you guys are the ones that work. You guys do it all. It's, it's amazing. Thank you. Well, thank you, Todd. This has been wonderful. There you have it on purpose, everybody. Uh, we Make a Difference, Education Matters, another great podcast. Don't forget to follow our blog at theschoolhouse302.com for blog, posts, podcasts, and video blogs, always on the topic of leadership. And we hope you enjoyed this One Thing series on how school leaders can maintain purpose and so much more with Todd Whitaker. Thank you, Todd. Thank you very much. And now a word from our sponsors. Hey, Joe, you know what leaders need these days? What's that, TJ? Sleep. A good night's rest. Self-care. We've heard it over and over and over again from our guests on the podcast that you can't pour from an empty cup. Leaders need sleep. One of the number one ways you can replenish yourself and lead better is a good night's sleep. I hear you, but you know what? I'm so tired. I don't even like thinking about you know, getting a good night's sleep. But, you know, do tell, how do we go about getting better sleep? Well, I think that's part of your problem is you need a better bed. It always starts with the bed. That's why we recommend Ghost Bed, our sponsor with 30,000 plus five-star reviews. Their patented sleep and cooling technology gets you to sleep faster and longer than any other bed. That's right. And their handcrafted mattresses come with a hundred and one night at home sleep trial and a two times the industry standard warranty. They're absolutely certain that their beds will work for you. And with free shipping within 24 hours of your purchase, it's fantastic uh, support from the company. And guess what? Just for being a listener at the Schoolhouse 302, you get 30% off with the use of our code SH302 at checkout. You go to ghostbed.com. You get some sleep so that you can lead better and grow faster. You use SH302 at checkout. Absolutely. And last thing, even if you don't need a bed, you're thinking, wow, I would love to try out ghost bed, but I just bought a bed. Refer someone else for a bed at ghostbed.com. You'll get a hundred bucks for helping someone else get a good night's rest. Wow. That's 30% off with SH302 code at ghostbed.com. A hundred bucks for your referral. If you get somebody else a good night's sleep, better sleep for you, better leadership, ghostbed.com. You can't beat it. Ghostbed.com. Excellent points all around and I, by, the, I by the way you can edit anything out i said that's stupid or you think it's offensive it's fine with me because a lot of times i'll have a two-hour interview and they'll use like 30 seconds so keep that in mind we'll, we'll keep going we, we don't believe necessarily in editing <clears throat> mainly because we're not good at it <laughs> <laughs> so people uh, watch me and they go they didn't edit that at all did they, and I go, no, they no they didn't 
remember the camera adds 10 pounds and I got like seven cameras on me too. So if yeah. you could keep that in mind, that'd be helpful. Well, uh, that's, that's interesting. Our, uh, on a personal note, our, in my district, the uh, PIO wants me to get a new photo op done and something that's we could use on our site that's a little more appealing. I said, listen, you got to give me a few months so I can shed the winter coat because I, I took the holidays very serious, very serious. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, yes. Thank you for keeping the leftovers from the rest of us. <laughs>